the galaxy burns. The heretic falls. And the emperor protects. Welcome, Imperial citizens, to The Emperor Protects, as we salvage this episode uh, from the warp and uh, bring it back to you. This is going to be episode four. Uh, for those of you who are a bit confused, we uh, I, I totally lost one recording and, uh, and needed to redo it. And so we're going to be slipping episode four, Flight of the Eisenstein, back into our mix. I'm going to, in the future, move this to its correct spot in the timeline. So if you don't notice anything weird, don't worry about it. <laughs> With me, as always, is my co-host, Dan. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, my friend. Awesome. And so today, like I said, we're talking about the Flight of the Eisenstein, kind of the last book as far as the chronological order of events mm. uh, from the initial heresy, um, Istvan three. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I guess and Istvan. Really, this is the yeah. book where treachery kind of comes home for Battle Captain Garrow. We've talked about him. Yes. Um, his Primarch Martarian has definitely thrown in with Horus. He's been targeted by his own Legion brothers. Uh, and and really, this story is about how he tries to flee to Terra to reveal Horus's treachery to the Emperor. And every time he tries to do something, he's challenged again and again. And really the question as you begin the book is, is he going to be successful? Or are the dark gods and their followers going to keep him from completing this very important self-appointed mission? That's really it. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is the best part about 40K or 30K as a setting Warhammer, really. Is just yes. it's you know macro tragedies and atrocities, but these micro stories that are so interesting. And so Garrow's what is essentially you know a messenger call. It ends up being an incredibly interesting book and, and absolutely one of my favorites. Mm. Um, now we I, have had a little bit of progress. Do you have something you want to throw in here? No, I just was going to say go ahead with your thought because it might be what I was going to talk about. So. Oh, no, I was just going to say that uh, Garrow ends up being an incredibly important character later on, and then I was going to chat about uh, our real-world heresy stuff, if you were interested in doing that. Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, I know for me, I have my Sons of Horus all all painted. Not not all painted all the way. I just, this week, I was telling Dan before the show, grabbed a whole bunch of drop pods that someone was clearing out of their basement. <laughs> Like for it was a it was a killer deal. Like it was just I emptied out my closet of shame of random projects, and I was like, "You want this stuff?" And he was like, "Yeah." So I got a bunch of scouts and drop pods that are all going to be uh, Sons of Horrors here pretty soon. Awesome. Um, in October, I have a two day event that I'm going to, and uh, with this, I think I'm only like two or three purchases away from like an actual drop pod assault army, which I know is not great, but also sounds fun. So yeah, I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> And how about you? Well, I finally think I have my kind of modified White Scars paint scheme. I sent you those pictures. Yes, they look uh, great. And so I'm I'm really pretty happy with that. And I think, you know, the one model was kind of a prototype, and I had done some different things on it. But now that I've got that, I'm looking forward to having my first whole squad of Marines painted with the transfers. And I think they're going to look pretty sharp. So uh, that's really great. And I have got... At this point, I've got three squads of 10 Marines mm -hmm. uh, all ready to go. I've got um, a special weapon squad with rotary cannons, which is kind of fun. Nice. And then I've got a punchy Leviathan and a Contemptor finished. I'm working uh, – I'm in progress with getting a shooty. Uh, 
Leviathan finished. So mm. I'm really into Leviathans. When I played 40k, I actually had one in my Thousand Sons army, and it was just fun as heck to play with, man. Yeah, I, it's definitely my favorite Dreadnought of the Horus Heresy ones. I think I've talked before, I don't care for the Contemptor too much. Yeah. But yeah. the Leviathan, with its with its just extra wide stance, it just looks more like that sarcophagus kind of thing that draws me to Dreadnoughts, and I'm like, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Agreed. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. That's up. We'll keep you updated. If you have any questions or anything like that uh, about our armies, go ahead and leave them in the comments or wherever you're hearing this. I would love to uh, answer those here on the show. And with that out of the way, we're going to move typically into our topic. Now, we've actually read further than Fly of the Eisenstein. Uh, in the future, when we talk on broad topics, I'll list off the book sources. Obviously, for this one, it's Fly to the Eisenstein. One book, a great book. Highly recommend. And um, what I would like to do is hand it over to Dan and kind of get us uh, started in what's going on with Flight of the Eisenstein. One of the things I think before we start the book proper is to uh, discuss a little bit the fact that there's a lot of concurrent events happening between this book and one we've already covered, which is Galaxy and Flames. Yes. So we're going to try to be easy on the listeners and not get them too confused, but... <laughs> Um, we're going to, if there's something that is happening, we're going to kind of jump back out and tell you this happened in Galaxy and Flames. It's happening somewhere else in that place, you know, in the in the system or wherever it is, as this story is continuing. Um, and they're also important events. So just to kind of let people know, we're going to jump back and forth a little bit to give what we're talking about a little more context. For sure. So. So what the first thing you notice here in this book, since it is after Galaxy and Flames, is we actually start before the events in the Isfahan system. Mm -hmm. And the Death Guard, which Nathaniel Garrow is part of, are sent to battle uh, a group of aliens. It's like an alien fleet, and they're called the Jorgal. Now, the narrative, the story focuses on the assault on one of their starships. And the interior is really interesting because the crew were suspended in like these bubble-like structures. It's kind of weird. You can kind of picture, you know, bubbles connected by little thin fibers and almost like inside of an ocean or something. And mm. the trick here is, though, that these uh, creatures, these aliens, are very powerful psychers. Yes. Now, the thing that you're probably wondering is, well, wait a minute, the Death Guard don't have any psychers. They're not Thousand Suns or anything. And it's like... <laughs> Right. They don't have any opponent, um, any mm -hmm. defense. So what happened here is the uh, Imperium deployed something called the Sisters of Silence, and they're attached to the Death Guard Assault Force. Do you want to talk for a moment about who the Sisters of Silence are? Yeah, absolutely. So just as the idea of psychers, people who have this connection to the warp, is a rare occurrence— an even rarer one is something similar. You're born with it. You can't really manufacture it too much. But it's called, what is it, the the null wave or something uh -huh. like that? Essentially, yeah. Sisters of Silence, there are a group of people who are psychic nulls. That is, uh -huh. nothing with the warp works around them. And uh -huh. so they project a dampening of all psychic power, meaning for the people who go out and collect psychers for the government to be able to use for ship travel and, and that kind of stuff or or just to make sure they don't blow up a city by accident 
the Sisters of Silence are sent out to go bring them in because their powers won't work around them. Makes perfect right. sense. And, and another, so, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say that they fly around in a ship. Uh, it's just called the Black Ship, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And uh, they just go around and collect some of the most dangerous people in all of the galaxy to, like I said, it's both to keep people safe, themselves safe, and then also use these folks for various tasks. Correct. And another term that we're going to hear used is blanks. Blanks, uh, yes. It's very common, and there's a, a series of books in 40K about a Commissar Kane and his aid is actually a blank, and he uses that term a lot. So, yeah, that's, that's what the sisters are. That's the function they serve. And uh, Nathaniel Garrow is leading this assault force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the battle and in its aftermath, Garrow meets someone called Amandera Kendall, who is um, from the Oblivion Knights Order of the Sisters. So each one of them has kind of like, you know, the modern Sisters of Battle have their own orders, like the Bloody Rose and all this. This is the Oblivion Knights uh, part. But Kendall will become an important part because of the rest of the story. She comes in and, and she's part of later events and they fought side by side. So they've developed the mutual respect, which is mm-hmm. really important here uh, for the story overall. So this gets done. The, the ships are captured and, you know, all the reports are made and stuff. So as this is happening though, we are also seeing the redeployment of the Death Guard to the Isfahan system now. Yes. As part of Horus's overall plan. Uh, we remember then that there's a battle on Isfahan Extremis where Garrow is very grievously injured. Mm-hmm. In fact, he loses a leg. And uh, Eidolon of the Emperor's Children is witnessed using some kind of weird sonic weapon, which yes. anybody who knows anything about 40K knows that's very... Uh, prophetic you know that's going yeah, on. Yeah. So, very noise marini yeah absolutely just needs the guitar right mm-hmm. yes um so gero's injuries are severe enough they become problematic for the traders because as we know from galaxy and flames the plan was to send all of the loyalists down to the planet and kill them mm-hmm. well he can't join the assault on this three because of his injuries and uh, they know he's remaining loyal to the emperor so yeah. what did they do? They're not going to just kill him outright because he's too influential in the Legion and it'll give things away. So their solution, the traders say, hey, let's give him joint command of a frigate. And it's called the Eisenstein. Uh, and the other Death Guard that is given command is called uh, Captain Ignatius Grolgor. Now, Grolgor is not only important in this story, <clears throat> but... We will see him repeatedly throughout the heresy, including up to the siege. So it's really interesting that there's a character very early here who just continues to to reappear. And not yeah. in a lot of places. He does this, these little... Um, He's cameos, yeah. Yeah, cameos. <laughs> yeah. So um, he and Garrow are in command of the ship. So again, this is where the stories diverge again. So all right. these other things have happened. We come back to the story here. So Grulgor is under orders from Typhon, who is the first captain of the Death Guard. Mm-hmm. We've talked about him before. Uh, he will eventually become uh, Typhus, right? Yes. Typhus. Yep. Um, and he's been ordered to kill Garrow and all the remaining loyalists on the Eisenstein. So 
uh, Grilgor is happy to do this because he, unlike Gero, was born on Barbarus, which is the home planet of Mortarion and the Death Guard, as it were. And like a lot of the legions, uh, a lot of his legion from that planet, they mm-hmm. basically despise all the traditions that the Terrans practice, that the Terran yes. Death Guard practice. So there's this huge, and it's not even, you know, like covert, like it's very overt, this tension mm-hmm. between the two groups. So, uh, and and actually that's common throughout the heresy. I mean, you see that a lot where the Terran Marines versus the, the homeworld Marines, I think the Dark Angels have some of that going on too. I believe so. I I think the Sons of Horus were a a small exception because Horus was found so early in the Crusade that like there there was a much more of a blending. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, some. I mean, certainly the biggest one would be like the World Eaters, where they alter (laughs) and modify each other, kind of a thing. But yeah, there's always been a division between Terranborn and uh, what they find out in space, (laughs) for sure. So um, another thing we meet we meet. Garrow's equerry and he mm-hmm. is his name is Caleb Aaron and yep. Caleb and Typhon despise Aaron because he's a failed aspirant so he was a he was trying to become a space marine once and he didn't make it through the trials yes um and of course they despise all non-legion humans but uh, he in particular because he's Garrow's equerry that's one reason and the fact that he's a failure in their eyes mm-hmm. um, but Garrow trusts Aaron implicitly they have a very strong relationship and what he does interestingly enough is Garrow asks Aaron to kind of become a spy for him and look around and report any information he can learn about the lodges because yeah. Gero realizes that the Lodges are now in his legion. And mm-hmm. he was one of the first loyalists to discover this. So uh, before Grolgor and his men can make a move on Gero, we're going to go back to something else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that happened. That's happening concurrently here somewhere mm-hmm. else in space. So if you remember listeners from our last uh, book where we talked about uh, – the Salt Harvitz, he mm-hmm. is an emperor's children, a marine. He escaped from his own legion, which he knows has turned traitor. And he is going down to warn the loyalists on the surface that there's going to be an attack on them. Yeah. And Tarvitz, in his travels, gets really close to the Eisenstein and warns Garrow. And they know each other. We, we are aware that they have a good, strong relationship Um very positive relationship and he warns Garrow of the treachery. So that's how Garrow knows this is all going on is because of Tarvitz. Um, And also during this time, uh, a Thunderhawk with Iactin Cruz, if we remember is a Sons of Horus uh, Marine. He is a little older, a little more senior. And he has taken the remembrancers of note that we've talked about in the other books and there he has escaped from the massacre of the Remembrancers that Horus undertook. And they are coming to the Eisenstein to seek shelter with Garrow. So those things are going on as well as mm-hmm. the story progresses here. Anything you want to comment on at this point up to now? Um, no. At, at this point, like this book shades or adds a little bit more depth to 
the conversation that I kind of made fun of between uh, Saul Tarvitz and Garrow when Saul <laughs> is just like, hey, there's a civil war. Everyone's trying to kill us. We're going to come on your boat and you're going to save the day. And he's just like, all right. Like, you know, just weird snapped into it. That's right. Well, uh, in this book, we definitely get to see more of like the buildup of right. um, Garrow seeing that something's not right between the loss of communications with people on the ground. He's literally looking left and right and seeing the ships move into position for a bombardment, but there's no things been ordered as far as he knows. And so he's just all these very strange things. I, I don't know. It made that conversation seem a lot more plausible than just, yes. <laughs> hey, buddy, let's go fight everyone we've ever done. Yeah, okay. And it's like, yeah, I'm with you, man, right? Pretty much, yeah, ride or die. <laughs> so so after all these things are going on and, and those other events are occurring, Garrow actually takes the initiative. Mm-hmm. And he goes to deal with Grulgor because he knows what's going on with Grulgor. So he takes his own men, his own company, and they go down to one of the – it's like – I guess it's like a launch bay. And it looks like Grulgor and his men are arming virus bombs. And this is just it for Garrow. This just – this just rips the cover from everything. There's yep. no doubt at all what is happening. And as they're arming the virus bombs, a fight breaks out here. Of course. Uh, one of Garrow's men is a young legionnaire named Solodiceus. And during the fight, um, and this will be important, but Solodiceus is something, somebody to remember. Uh, during the fight, Grolgor is about to shoot Garrow. But Aaron, remember his equerry, shoots Grilgor's gun, and of course, <laughs> the bolt punctures one of the life eater bombs, and they, um, and Aaron, thinking quickly, mm-hmm. the marine. There's kind of a separation. The marines aren't really in the Garrow and his men aren't really in the launch bay, as it were. They're right. just coming in the door. But Aaron thinks quickly here and he wants to seal the launch base so he seals himself and the traders in the launch bay what a hero uh yeah yeah heroic man so yeah. they are all along with the virus bomb quickly ejected into space boom mm-hmm. they're gone right because they have to get rid of the virus so what they do is just just evacuate yep. oh yeah you have to purge the, the whole thing <laughs> yeah right uh, but before being inject injected re e- ejected <laughs> Um, Aaron kind of shouts at Garrow that he is of purpose. Listeners, these two words are very important. He is of purpose. And this is not the first time that you will hear somebody say that to Garrow. Mm-hmm. For some reason, this is important. So he must have a purpose. All right. <laughs> so um, later, uh, after all this was going on, you know, Garrow is grieving for his dear friend and uh he is going through Aaron's possessions and he finds a copy of guess what? The Lectitio Divinitatis. Yes. Our uh, early emperor church. Yeah. Um, wow. And you know, Garrow being who he is, he's, he, he's not going to keep the book closed. So we know that he's starting to read through this thing and kind of absorb some of the ideas here. Mm-hmm. Um, so after all of this, Garrow has decided that he has to get to the warp and travel to Terra to warn the Emperor. So yep. as the Eisenstein prepares to jump to the warp, um, most of this, he's really done a good job of kind of masking his movements, but the Terminus Est, which I believe is the flagship of the Death Guard, where Martarian and, of course, 
First Captain Typhon, we talked about before, they notice the movement. Yes. And just as the Eisenstein makes it into warp, the some of the Terminus S shots damage the uh, Eisenstein. And importantly, it's the Geller field generators that are the things that are damaged when they go into the warp. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody who knows anything about Geller fields and the warp, that's pretty critical. <laughs> so as, yeah. as they go into the warp, the Geller fields fail. And what it does is it allows a horde of undead rotting legionnaires aboard. So these are former Death Guard. And you can guess who's included in that. It is, of course, Grilgor and his men. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, Garrow and his men are just horrified when they see these things. And obviously they've been reincarnated by the plague god, Nurgle. Yes. Um, during the fight, Grolgor cuts Decius, we talked about, with a poison plague weapon. Uh, and Garrow and his men are close to being overrun. And what happens is Garrow takes a really desperate act of ordering an emergency reversion back into real space, which is not <laughs> a good thing to happen, right? No, not at all. Because you okay. could pop up anywhere in a sun, and yeah. Yeah, so this is, this is just utter desperation. But when they do that, they basically cut Grilgore and the Plague Marines off from the warp, and poof, they're gone. Like, it's done. They're, they're not there anymore. But the damage has been done because Decius has now been infected um, by Nurgle Plague from this yep. weapon. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, as part of the story goes, uh, Aaron, his equity had returned, uh, but as a plague revenant, and he can imagine what Geralt felt having to kill his own. Uh, but he knew he wasn't what he was before, and that, I guess, suppose there's some <laughs> kind of, you know, justice. Yeah. That, but uh, it must have been really difficult. I feel like Garrow got uh, a better introduction into the heresy than any other space marine that we follow, really. Because, like, you know, he saw, like, the true betrayal of them loading the missiles. But, I mean, that's very, like... Um, tame stuff right and then the next time he sees them they're in the warp and like they should be dead but the second they come out of the warp they disappear and you're probably thinking like okay maybe that was just the warp playing tricks on me it took the form of my old friends but that's not them Mm. but the stabbing of his buddy who brings the plague marine stuff into the real space when they don't need the warp that is like the next step of like oh man we got something going on here (laughs) yeah yeah it was like there, a slow roll introduction to like things are wrong. <laughs> yes, there's something out there. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, Garrow took this act of uh, ordering the emergency reversion, but if he couldn't be any more desperate, <laughs> he takes another desperate move, and basically, what he does is he orders the Engineerium to just absolutely max it just go like um what is it in a what do you call it in a jet when you like afterburners like afterburners oh yeah, yeah with the plasma drives and what he's intending to do is create some kind of a huge you know galactic flare that somebody anybody will be able to see mm-hmm. uh and of course it's a story and you know sometimes things do work out and he draws the attention of 
the hero we needed in this story. Uh, and, and, and also like one of our least favorite characters together, Rogel Dorn. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Like the flare goes out. They're kind of just waiting. And then an entire like company of Terminators just teleports into the hangar bay of the Eisenstein. And in the center of this giant phalanx is Rogel Dorn, who is like, what are you doing? What's going on? Nothing you do is approved. You have a whole vagabond crew of people who don't look like they should be with Space Marines. And um, essentially, Garrow tries pleading his case. Being like, listen, there's treachery afoot. There's no time. We have to get to Terra. And that sentence is cut off by Rogel Dorn throwing his power fist straight into Garrow's jaw. <laughs> Which I love. It was just like... To everybody else, the mere thought of betrayal is so outrageous that his immediate response was to just cold cock him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, it, like, I think it was pretty clear it broke Garrow's jaw for a split second. I mean, he's a space marine. He'll patch up real quick. But, yes, that was quite the introduction. And then after that, uh, yeah. then he has the Imperial Fists loosely on his side, at least enough to bring him to Terra to hear a story. But they still have no idea what's going on. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, I, he's probably my on my list of top three least favorite Primarchs. <laughs> Certainly, Lionel Johnson is my top one. I hate him the most. But Dorn is right up there. Ooh. You know, and it's funny yeah. is I'm reading each one of the heresy book or the siege books more and more. I'm like, it's. What do you think of Dorn? Like the, right one, the white scars, you know. The con basically said, "Hey, you got a plan. That's great, but it's not going to work. I'm going to do my thing." And I could just see Dorn kind of going, "Yeah, fine." You know, like, yep, yep. <laughs> none of yeah. the things I had planned are working. And just uh, and there's other stuff and other stories we talk we could talk about. But he, what did he do? He locked away all of his librarians, basically put them into solitary confinement. <laughs> It's just like, really? Okay, whatever. So He takes things very seriously. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> He's very thorough. Uh, anyway, so we meet Rogaldorn, and, and eventually they're like, okay, this could be true. It might not be true. We're going to take you to Terra and see what's going on. So as mm -hmm. they get closer to Terra, there's a ship carrying Sister Kendall, who we met before, the Sister of Silence, and they intercept Garrow and they take Keeler, who's on board the ship, remember, Freddy Keeler, yep. into custody because she's a psyker. Mm -hmm. They think she's a psyker. Yeah, and, all weird stuff's happening around her and she's all yes. saintly. So they're like, yeah. okay. We got to check her out. Um, but they're not going to kill her. They're not going to use her, quote. Uh, but they're going to check out and see what she does. And so the rest of Garrow and his crew are taken to Luna, the moon. And interned in something called the Somnus Citadel, which is a stronghold of the Sisters of Silence. So just, you know, dozens, hundreds of these Sisters of Silence just wandering about this place. And they're kind of awaiting judgment to see what's going to happen. And sadly enough, one of the things that happens here is Solendesius has been enduring massive waves of pain from that mm -hmm poison wound and he continues to try and Garrow talks to him and he's just says you know you've got to fight the pain you've got to get through the pain um, and there's an apothecarian named Merrick Voyan who we will 
later in the stories, he is also in them. And he has tried everything. Yep. He's got him in the apothecary, and, and there's nothing that is working. And eventually, I mean, he's still a human, even though he's a space marine. And eventually, he just can't endure the pain anymore. And this is typical Nurgle meme, right? It's like, hey, I know you're in pain. I want to take the pain away. I want to make yep. you happy. Happiness is all I care about. You are exactly. happy. And so you can just hear him saying these things. The DCC is finally like, yeah, that sounds good, man. I, I just can't deal with this. Yeah. So Nurgle, quote, rewards Decius by transforming into some, him into something called the Lord of the Flies, which is essentially a demon, uh, demon host. You know, he he's mm-hmm. possessed in a very overt way. You know, this is very different than the thing that happened to the possessed, you know, the Galvor back where there was still that human side and that, that demon side only really came out when they were fighting. Yeah. This is just like a huge, massive, think, you know, dreadnought-sized demon that is rampaging through the fortress now. And, of course, Garo grabs his trusty sword Libertas, which is as big as he is, and rushes out to fight his old friend. And it's interesting, I think, how the fight moves out to the surface of the moon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, wow. You know, there's no air. There's nothing else out. It's just so weird. Uh, but Garo defeats it. Garo does kill him eventually. Uh, and now we are introduced to another significant character in the story, Malkador the Sigilite who we talk about in episode five, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he is the regent. And I think, do we need to, should we talk about him again? Or do you think? Just very briefly, like he is, he's a human. Um, He is the emperor's second in command, essentially kind of the bridge in the gap between the emperor and all the space Marines and the humans that they defend and stuff like that. He is, I think the second most powerful psyker around next to the emperor. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and he just acts as sort of an equerry as well as like an advisor. Um, yeah, part and politician, part wizard, part you wizard. know government body. <laughs> okay, uh, and I think an important part of the story, the heresy, really, is that Malkador also has his own agenda. Yes, he's got this pro. You know, kind of the emperor, like the emperor has his basement project. Malkador has his own little side project too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the decisions he makes and the things he does are kind of pushing us towards obtaining that little project getting completed. So uh, he and Garrow have the first of many formative conversations here. And, of course, he tells Garrow, wait for it, you are of purpose, Nathaniel. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and so... He then calls Garrow and Kendall, and I act in crews uh, before him, and they are going to be, and this is a quote, uh, they are going to be the beginning of an organization which would utilize, quote, men and women of an inquisitive, important nature, hunters who might seek the witch, the traitor, the mutant, and the xenos. Yes. Oh, I wonder what that is, right? So this is literally, this is the very foundational scene of the Inquisition. 
This yes. is the first time we're aware of it. So, um, so very Garrett important comes, that it came from Malkador the Sigilite. Oh. Like, the, he, yeah, I mean, just when you when you fast forward until 40k and you see how the Inquisition, you know, the absolute power and authority it has, like this is why it was a part of this guy's plan. Yeah, and it, it when we think about it too. It's just amazing that he had such foresight at that time to understand what was going to be necessary, you know, like 10,000 years in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this was going to be needed. And, and Malkador had that um, awareness to understand that. So uh, as part of this, he makes Garrow his Argentia Prime, his first agent. Yep. Uh, and he's issued new armor, and this is very important too. So it's kind of a smoky gray color. It has no lesion insignia at all, other than a stylized I. <laughs> yeah, okay. With the letter I, with the yeah. I of Malkador laser cut into one of his shoulder pauldrons. And that basically is the only thing that shows what he is, but that is, again, the original inquisitional I. That we see the modern one is derived from. So he is the Argentia Primus, and um, Kendall is made the Argentia Tertius, and she's marked with a brand, like a metal, like a liquid metal brand or something that does the yeah. same thing. And then Cruz is going to be the Argentia um, Secundus. He's going to be the second kind of person. So um, all that's kind of how the story ends is with him putting these people together, this very diverse, very divergent group of people, bringing them together and giving them some common purpose. Yeah. Uh, Given that two of the three no longer have a legion. And I think that's really an important part of the story to understand. Absolutely. I would, I would agree it because the story of flight of the Eisenstein is very simple and short, right? They went from, Istvan to Terra with a waylay in the middle when their drives were burnt out. Mm-hmm. But like in in that escape story, there's everything from Marines discovering the power of chaos when their Geller fields go down to mm-hmm. Nurgle infecting one of their own, and now they have some of the earliest like real face to face fights with what will eventually be mutated space marines Mm -hmm. uh they also established the earliest iterations of the inquisition along with the focuses because he specifically points out the traitor the mutant the xenos and the witch uh there's just like there's a lot in this story that they wove into it and it doesn't feel like i think we mentioned in one of the other books it's just a lot of shout outs for no reason like this felt very straightforward um if if an event like the heresy happened, it would go straight to the top. It would go straight to Malkador and the Emperor. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it all made sense, and it wove in a lot of elements that are great about 40K into 30K. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that reason, that's why it's one of my favorite books. Absolutely. I, and I think, what are you, and here's another kind of conversation piece, was do you, th- and this is the part that drives me nuts, because everybody knows how stupid I think the Emperor is and what an idiot he is. <laughs> Do you just by the way Malkador reacted when they got there? I am absolutely convinced he and the Emperor already knew this was happening. Well, let's see. Time timeline wise, uh, I think Magnus would have just blown into the Emperor's palace, right? In terms of 
Well, yeah. I, while the Estevan heresy is happening, that's when Magnus reaches out to the Emperor and screws up his basement project. Right, right. I think you're right. Um, so I'm sure they see something happening. Like there's, there's, there's commotion, right? Everything, the force is disturbed. My question is like, when I think about the warp, right? We have all these powerful psychers and everyone claims that they can see the future and they know things are going to happen. Um, I wonder if it's kind of like the internet where the internet is like a, um, a curated experience. So it shows you some things, but not others based on your search history or whatever. My point in saying all this is like, what if Magnus and the Emperor have their visions of the future, but then it takes a third person with a different perspective, meaning Malkador, to be like, oh no, this is going to get real bad and real messed up. I'm going to start doing my own plays in the side because I know the Emperor is going down. I'm not saying he knew that at this point, but basically he starts making his own plays by introducing the Inquisition and stuff because he knows all these Titanic personalities are like... It's going to collapse. It has to yes. at some point. Yes. Agreed. And so, I, I don't know. And that makes it, it's just a different kind of looking into the future. Like how you prepare for that could be very different. With that, I think, Doug, we're going to move on to another story that's really directly related to what we've just seen happen. Yeah. So as we decided to finish up the the Istavan, well, this part of the Istavan uh, tragedy as it went down because there's Istvan 5 we haven't gotten to quite yet um, but as this is going down we thought we would kind of uh, revisit Garrow a little bit we'll hit the we'll hit the fast forward button and Dan had an awesome story that I had not read yet called Legion of One so Dan would you like to take the story for us sure so uh, this is a fair amount of time after the events on Luna mm-hmm. uh, when they met um, Garrow has been created a knight errant, and he's found a new calling since he lost his legion uh, in service to the emperor. So surrounded by pretty much a cloak of secrecy, which you would expect from the Inquisition, whatever, he has been uh, tasked by Malkador to kind of travel around the galaxy and recruit additional knights errants to serve as his agents Mm -hmm. kind of behind the scenes. So his quests lead him to all kinds of places, you know, war, just desolated planets, destructive war zones. And among the people that he has found so far are two very prominent individuals. And the first one is Tylos Rubio, who is a librarian of the Ultramarines, and then Macer Varen, who's a warrior of the World Eaters. Mm-hmm. And the reason that he is able to recruit these guys from other legions is Rubio has basically been shunned by his fellows, his fellow space marines, ultramarines in particular, because he used his psychic powers to save an entire company of his fellow marines in violation of the emperor's edict from the Council of Nicaea. And even though he used it to save all his brothers, they were like, hey, you broke the rules, dude. I, you know, sorry. And so yes. really, he has no home anymore. And Garrow said, hey, come with me. I can you know, give you a purpose. And Macer Varen is one of the loyalists uh, of the world eaters who left his legion to fight on against the traitors. So they are both uh, rejected by their brothers, per se, for different reasons, for sure. Uh, and they have also replaced their previous armor with the same you know, kind of 
dusty gray armor mm-hmm. that uh, Garrow's wearing. So they're all wearing this Knight's Errant kind of Malkador stuff. So that's just the background of who these three individuals are, Garrow, Rubio, and Varen. So they land on a world that's been ruined in the wake of Horus's treachery. Yeah. And again, this is, I would say, what do you think, like a year, two years, three years? It's been a while, I think. I'm not sure the time frame. No, I I have to imagine it would be because he he's all I don't know I I would think two to three years something like that. Okay, yes. Yeah. So it's been quite a while. Um, yeah, and so they're looking for a. This is Malkador at least has told them this is the last warrior that you need to collect, as it were. Um, it's the last one that we need to find before I'm going to let you know what your greater purpose is. Yep. So they land among the ruins of a great city. This is just rubble and dust. Um, nothing but ash and burnout concrete halts. It is just a wasteland. Um, so as they're landing and so forth, far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> um, far away in another part of this huge city, on top of a destroyed building, there's a revenant. And we say it's revenant because it's dressed in this battered armor. Imagine it has this tattered, torn, ruined cloak that's kind of fluttering in the wind behind it. Yep. And it's armed with a chainsaw that basically has no teeth left. And mm, yeah. this revenant just screams at the sky. And he says that he's Cerberus at the top of his voice, you know, which is the mystical guardian of the gates of hell, you know, and he says that he's seen the mark of three. He knows that um, there's something not right in this place where he is on this planet. Right. Um, And obviously these words mark him as a warrior who's absolutely on the edge of madness if he's not gone mad already. (laughs) So, but an important thing to, to note in the story. So, um, as they pick their way through the ruins of the city, they kind of all of a sudden find a group of human refugees who managed to survive all this. Mm-hmm. And their leader, Arkudi, says that they survived the devastation by sheltering in the underground transit system. And Arkudi says that there is a beast or a revenant that lives in the ruins and hunts the survivors. So yes. you, you can imagine Garrow and Rubio and Varen are like, oh, well, let's go get them. Yeah, we need to protect these these people. Um, in another part of the city now, we switch back, and this revenant is inside this old, like, administrative building that's just kind of collapsed on itself. And he's actually kind of kneeling. You can picture him kneeling down, talking to a suit of Legion armor. This is Marine armor. Um, its former owner is long dead, and he absolutely wants it to speak with him. Um, he's just feeling this overwhelming grief. So at the same time, he was just screaming in madness in the previous scene. He's now, you can almost imagine he's maudlin and the point of tears mm-hmm. where he's just feeling this overwhelming grief at the death of his former brother. Um, so it's kind of weird, I think, Doug, the way that the writer, I think this is James Swallow. Yeah, all these all these Garrow stories yeah. are James Swallow is the way he portrays, he does a really good job. First, you just think this this guy's a lunatic. And the other side, yeah. he makes him very human. He shows that there's something very painful going on inside. It's not just this, you know, unleashed madness. And I really like that contrast that he presents. 
Yeah. Yeah, because uh, he sounds like a, a, I don't know, a world eater that got left on the planet or something yeah, like that. Right, exactly. Um, and so what happens is Varen keeps watch of the refugees, and Gero and Rubio go to investigate the lair of the beast, which is this place where we just talked about this revenant being uh, pointed in that direction by Arcudi. So it's located in the ruins, as we said, of a large administrative building. And they find the same suit of Legion armor that Cerberus had been speaking to. Um, and they continue to look at the site. They see what's going on. And one of the things they do notice is that the Legionnaire has had his head removed. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if we remember the story of Galaxy and Flames, we might be thinking about who this might be. We're not sure yet. There, there might be some ideas here. So, um, but as they examine the armor and look at this Marine, uh, Cerberus just attacks them, ferocious attack. And as they fight, he throws a crack grenade, yep. runs out of the building, and the building collapses on top of Garo and Rubio, of course. So while they're trying to dig themselves out, Cerberus moves towards the encampment where the Garen, Varen and the survivors are. And he, <laughs> when Varen sees this beast, this revenant, mm-hmm. he realizes he's actually, he looks like a space marine. He's like wearing just, the armor's just completely tattered and broken, but it's still space marine armor. And again, he's calling himself Cerberus, so everybody knows what his name is. And um, as they fight, Varen drops his bolter and Cerberus picks it up and just goes, tat, 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 tat. he just starts wiping out these civilians. Right. And at this point, Gero and Rubio kind of drive Cerberus off. Rubio uses, because now that he's working for Malkador, he gets an exemption and he gets to, he gets yes. to use his psychic powers when he, he gets the license them. to kill with mind. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. And they drive him off. Um, so Garo tells the others that Cerberus is the warrior they were sent to find. <laughs> Whoa. Like, what? <laughs> You're thinking to yourself, as you read this, like, what, what are you talking about, man? This guy is just nuts. He's, he's beyond hope. Um, but but Garo, being who Garo is, thinks that this guy can be saved. And Varen's like, he's a world eater. He's like, nah, no, no, no. Just get rid of him, right? He's lost his mind. Um, but he's still loyal to the emperor. Just the way he's talking, they can kind of tell you know, that something's there still. Mm-hmm. And uh, we switch over to Rubio then while this conversation is going on between Garo and Varen. And... Um, Rubio's looking at the bodies of some of the dead refugees, and he finds a really weird little triple cluster of scabs on them. And, of course, Garo, right away when Rubio calls him over to look at these, knows exactly what these are. And what are they, Doug? Uh, these would be the, the little pacts or marks you make with Nurgle influence. If you've ever seen the Nurgle symbol, it's like three circles kind of in a triangle pattern. And... Uh, he, he, he knows that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Garo then notices that Arcudi has one of these little marks. And Arcudi was like, 
Captain Garrow, you were not supposed to see that. (laughs) And now all hell breaks loose, literally. That the refugees themselves turn out to be plague zombies, Nurgle plague zombies. And all, I mean, think about all the dead people in this city, this like thousands and thousands of them that are still there. They are all plague zombies now. And they start to attack these three space marines. And you're going, oh my God, man, it's done. Like, okay, where's the story going to go? Well, the just as these knights are being overwhelmed, who steps in to save them but our new friend Cerberus? Mm-hmm. And between the four of them, I mean, Cerberus is just insane. He's just going nuts. He's just swiping them and beating them and killing them. And the three Marines are kind of, you know, kind of on their feet again now that they're not in a circle being surrounded by these things. Right. And uh, once they defeat the zombies, though, Cerberus attacks Garrow. And Garrow manages to, you know, of course, he's not only fighting, he's talking. It's of course. Garrow. Of course he would do that. Um, it's Warhammer. You have to have the monologues like in WWE. <laughs> well, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So he he kind of forces him to remember who he really is. Yes. And it turns out, who is he, Doug? He is Gabriel Loken, the former captain of the Luna Wolves and our main character for books one through three. Oh, my God, what a reveal. This is insane. And when you're listening to this story, you, you just stop. Like, you have to stop the audio almost and try to understand what's happening here. Like, that is such a mind-blowing reveal. Yes. Oh, uh, absolutely, yeah. Because Loken died. I mean, the the bombardment, he was in the rubble of Istvan three with the, another bombardment coming down to just totally destroy him. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, he was in a rough way. I, I guess... I don't know. It must have not have been a virus bombardment at the end there. Right, I don't think so. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he he looked pretty hosed in the uh, in the last scene. We saw him with a building falling on him and a bad and running away. So we've got that reveal. This is Garviel Loken, and slowly but surely, his mind kind of returns as he calms down, as he realizes who he is, and um, he ends up joining them as they travel back to Terra. Yes. Um, and one of the other things that I think is of interest here is the Marine, the dead Marine that we uh, see Cerberus talking to was missing his head. Um, yes. His armor was missing his head. And if you remember from the Galaxy in Flames story, uh, his very dear friend Torgadon was fighting Lucius, and Lucius beheaded him. So. Yeah, it was- was it Lucius or was it Little Axe, Little Horus, or Little Horus? Maybe it was Little Horus because he had right because he had regretted killing him. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. Yeah, but this is almost definitely um, Torgadon who had been beheaded um, in the in the fight on Nisphon Three. Yeah. So just sadness, um, but some redemption here too, which is really cool. Despite all the stuff that's going on. You see a really cool you know, character like Garvia Loken oh my be, gosh, yeah. being brought back into the story and 
he will be, as others are, he will be an ongoing part of the heresy uh, as we're, we're coming through it. So, yeah. yeah, really interesting story. And I would encourage our listeners to, if you're interested in Garrow, from what we've talked about, um, getting the book Garrow, because it really, it reviews some of the things we've already talked about. But there's some really, really interesting stories. And because Garrow ends up at the siege at the end, it really gives you a really neat uh, path for him to get yeah. to that point from where he is right now. So, again, I would recommend it. Toby Longworth is the narrator, and he is just exceptional. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, as a a storyteller. So, yeah. So that is Legion of One. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we tacked that on because it does, you know, it does kind of finish up uh, Garrow's immediate involvement since we just covered Flight of the Eisenstein as well as Gavriel Loken's, of course, by finishing the first three books off. So thank you so much for walking us through the Army of One or Legion of One, rather. Sure, absolutely. Uh, let's see. So the next episode, because things are a little... Uh, out of whack right now i don't have any listener questions but if you have any please leave comments on my youtube channel uh where you're seeing this or any podcasting app that you'd like and we can we can go into those um we already did our next topic which chronologically was what's the next was, book uh, we did dan first heretic. <laughs> first heretic oh my gosh yeah. man my brain is fried yes. okay so we did First Heretic, and right now we are studying up for No, No Fear. So that's going to be the next episode that drops if you're listening to this upon release. Uh, and I'm so excited for that story. Oh, man. <laughs> this, this, is, this is the, <laughs> the traitor's strike back, as it were. Uh, yes, yes. This is, this, is, this is utter and complete vengeance for monarchia that's all this is yep and so uh we'll be working on that if you wanted to follow along and so let's uh let's kind of wrap up here what are your closing thoughts on flight of the eisenstein and or legion of one i it's very hard for me to be objective here because garrow is <laughs> definitely one of my favorite characters i've listened to the garrow books several times and he just represents the best you know, in many ways of uh, what of humanity. I mean, there's that human side to Garrow, which is what I always enjoy about him. Um, and as he goes through his own journey, you still see that human side. You know, there's that questioning of yeah. what's going on. He questions his own purpose, and um, it's just really interesting that he still retains, after all that, he still retains his own. Uh, independence from Malkador. I mean, there are times mm -hmm. in stories where he basically says, I don't care what you say. I've got to do this or I have to do that because yeah. it's the right thing to do. And in this long story of the heresy where <laughs> good and evil kind of mesh where you don't know which is which, you have no, there's no ambiguity with Garrow. No. <laughs> No, no, it's he wears it on his sleeve. <laughs> and that's why I love this story because it really introduces us to him as a character and then, you know, going on to the other parts of it. So that's why I really, really enjoy this book. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's a it's a wonderful it's a cool little isolated story that has a lot of 
connections and impacts to the greater narrative going on and I, I i love stories that do that where it's it's nice and digestible but it means a lot i like that quite a bit absolutely so we'll go ahead and uh close her out here uh dan if people wanted to find you where could they listen to you well they can listen to us at uh, cubic shenanigans warhammer podcast my co-host brendan and i uh, talk about Warhammer, primarily Sigmar at this point, but we are going to start talking about some heresy because we're both uh, starting to get into it a little bit. Yes. Uh, that is our uh, podcast. And so you can reach Brendan uh, at hobby underscore bear on the twits, and you can reach me at cubic shenanigans at Gmail. Sweet. So. And uh, I have a YouTube channel where some of you are probably listening to this, 2 Plus Tough, if you just search... I do lore on a whole bunch of games, a lot of AOS, but I'm getting into heresy here pretty soon. And um, you can reach me there. or And I also monitor all the, the podcasts where we upload this feed at. So comments anywhere, you can get a hold of me from there. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, citizens, for listening to The Emperor Protects. And...